Hey guys, Dalton here. I just wanted to come in front of this week's pod to talk to you guys about something. My computer caught on fire and I was in the middle of editing the podcast. I lucked out because I had a rough draft done and sent to Austin. So that rough draft is going to be this week's podcast. Next week we will be back up and running in full form. So don't worry about a thing. I don't think this week's episode is bad and Austin doesn't either. I just wanted to give you guys an explanation of what happened. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. You can't see what's not seen until you let go of what is seen. And that's, I'm talking about your money. Saturday, we went out down to Tallahassee. We took our daughter to a pet and zoo. She got to chase around little baby pigs, little baby goats. She got to feed all the goats and the sheep and the llamas and the alpaca. And all the horses there was even a horse out there that had like pink and uh blue hair they're supposed to be unicorn quote unquote and she saw she's like the unicorn the unicorn it was just a really good time and besides that we went out to eat and went shopping and that was pretty much it highlight of my week did she want to take any of the animals home oh of course uh oh at the entrance they had uh little baby ducks and baby rabbits for sale the ducks were $5 and the rabbits were $10. And I wanted to, I told Victoria, which is my wife, that uh, I wanted to grab one of the rabbits and take it home. And she was like, where would we put it? It was just shit all over my car. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm like, Maybe we get a duck. And right now, one of Victoria's friends is living with us. And I thought it'd be really funny to buy a duck. And put it in the bathroom, like in the bathtub. So she wakes up in the morning. Yeah. So she wakes up in the morning, goes to use the bathroom. There'd just be a duck in the bathtub, like quack. (laughs) So I would say that's a very elaborate joke that you (laughs) would would result in you having to take care of a duck for you know a a number of years that the duck would be alive. (laughs) So like all the payoff is in the front of that joke, and then the joke is on you as now you have a duck. (laughs) But then I have a duck. It's a (laughs) win-win. Well, at least, I mean, you have a yard, so I guess a duck is manageable. I don't know yeah. what I would do with a duck in Brooklyn. I could take it to my, my papa, which is my grandpa. I'm speaking Southern. My papa uh, has a pond with an island in front of it in his front yard. So I could take it to my papa's house and let him swim in the pond. Pretty next, sweet. next week, we're going to be talking about Dalton's duck full time. <laughs> like, if, the, if the grift uh, podcast doesn't work out for us, we're just going to, you know, ducks with Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> duck cast. <laughs> You're also uh, just started watching for the very first time Game of Thrones. Yes, I did. Those Lannisters are some nasty motherfuckers, man. That's gross. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to say it's really it's it's really fun to see your reaction to this because there's so many people that we know have already seen the series and we're just like everybody they keep telling you the same thing they're like just wait just don't ask questions we're not going to spoil this for you just wait well at first uh in the group chat that we're in uh was posting like does this dude want the fuck his sister and everybody Spoiler thought- alert for anybody that hasn't <laughs> watched game of thrones episode one if you're a decade behind, like I am. <laughs> On the first episode of Game of Thrones. I skip about five minutes into the podcast. <laughs> but uh, when I said that in the group chat, I was talking about uh, the Khaleesi and her brother, the one that traded her into slavery or whatever, because I was getting like like real weird creep vibes from him. Yeah, he's a creep. He's confirmed creep, though. Uh, but no, it was the Lannisters that wound up having sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah there's a there's a that's one of the ickiest things for maybe the ickiest thing but there's a there's a lot you're you're in for a lot and then they maybe killed a small child i don't know he's sticking in bed where i'm at right now there's spoilers he's sticking in bed (laughs) where i'm at so i don't i don't know if he's dead or not but we'll see well you got a lot more show to go for sure you're gonna have fun this will be this will be a wild ride for you um so over here i guess um my my biggest adventure this week and this just goes to illustrate my dedication to this uh, podcast is that I actually had to track down an article uh, that I could not find on, on the internet. Dalton already knows this story. And so he, tell me, where did you find this article, Austin? <laughs> this article came from an August 1974 issue of Playboy magazine. And I had to go on eBay and buy this back issue of Playboy magazine. And, and as I did it, I had to turn to my partner and say, I am expecting something in the mail. It might be a little shocking, um, but I promise you it's for an interview that ran in this issue that I cannot find anywhere. And he was like, what did you buy? And I said, the August 1974 edition of Playboy magazine. (laughs) And then what did he say? I think he was relieved that I wasn't buying more junk for the house to clutter things up. That's really. No, no, no. That's not what you told me. Yeah. He said, he's like, I'm glad (laughs) it's not another wrestling figure. And I'm like, no, it's not a wrestling figure. Cause he's, I've got a couple in the office and now that's like, for him, it's a thing. He's going to listen to this too. You thought we were done with wrestle talk people. We're not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah so that was that was that was my 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 big exciting thing and hopefully it arrives tomorrow so that we'll have an episode ready to go for next week otherwise we're gonna have to uh call an audible and and switch things up a little bit (laughs) um so the other thing i wanted to read really quickly is this article uh every once in a while these little grifty articles come across or i come across them and they're not enough for a full show, but I think they're really funny and kind of ridiculous. And so I want to kind of sneak it in at the beginning and then we'll get into the rest of the episode. If you will bear with me, Dalton. Oh no, I'm all ears. <laughs> all right. So this is from the daily beast. The headline is DC pastor used 3.5 million in fraudulent PPP loans to buy himself a Tesla. The FBI says. Federal prosecutors moved to seize the car and bank accounts of a pastor in Washington, D.C. this week after he allegedly made fraudulent applications to the Paycheck Protection Program for $3.5 million, received the loans, and used them to buy himself a Tesla, among a slew of other personal purchases, according to recently released court filings. Rudolph Brooks Jr., something about Rudolph and Rudy's that just, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Rudolph Brooks Jr. had allegedly submitted PPP loan applications for $1.5 million, $1.8 million, and $200,000 on behalf of of his company's Cars Direct, Kingdom Tabernacle, and Madero Celtic Bank using faked tax and payroll forms that never had been filed with the IRS. Kingdom Tabernacle lists Brooks as its pastor. After Brooks was awarded the loans, Brooks allegedly funneled the federal cash into 11 of his own personal bank accounts, using it to buy meals at restaurants, groceries, instruments, and a 2018 Tesla Model 3 for $60,000 in June of 2020. There's a little bit more to this, but who has 11 personal bank accounts? All right, that's what I was hung up on. I'm like, dude, I have trouble keeping up with one. Like, I I blink my eyes and I'm in the red. I mean, like, most people, they're lucky if they have a savings account, but let alone 11 different accounts that they're keeping track of. And they're personal. They specify personal, not that these are tied in any way to these fake companies. Wow. So, like, does he have a partner? Does he have a wife? 
don't I don't know. They don't know. The rest of the article just says you made ten thousand dollar deposit on a home, paid down his own credit card bills and loan obligations with the money. See, I would be like, hey, buddy, friend, pal, why don't you hold on to this money for me? <laughs> when I get out of prison, I'm going to give mean, you a cut. There's a trail of this. Also, the other thing, if I had two and a half million dollars, why are you going to buy a two year old Tesla? Right. <laughs> what the fuck, man i'm not a car guy i got a brother who's a car guy it's not me but i know there's a lot better cars out there than a two-year-old tesla model you 3. better get your ass to lambo what are you yeah, doing <laughs> i mean like you've got this money why not go i mean he may, maybe he had giant credit card debt and he was trying to be responsible with 35 this... million credit card. <laughs> oh my god i just it was just like this is the, this is wow this is a really low hanging uh grift right here this guy was not not ambitious at all i i gotta take points away for the something lack. about religious figures and fraud it just seemed to go hand in hand yeah and well i mean we're gonna talk about a big one i have a feeling this is not the last religious figure that we're gonna talk about in this series oh you don't say that we're about to pop off another <laughs> episode <laughs> if you catch my grift Hello, PD. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble. All right. Welcome to part two of Jesus Clown. I mean, <laughs> Peter Popoff. I it's I, I I thought of that while I was I was writing some of this, and I was like, that's just like that's what he is. He's a clown for Jesus, but he's <laughs> he's not just like a funny clown to watch. He's also got like a little bit of John Wayne Gacy, and that he's taking advantage of of old people. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so he's a nasty fellow. But before we I don't get know, into... man. at least John Wayne Gacy could paint. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. At least my man was an artist. <laughs> he had a vision. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so before we get into pop off, I want to talk a little bit about a guy I briefly mentioned last episode. And, and this is a guy who we're definitely going to do an episode on. This is a guy that you are aware of Dalton. Uh, this is the amazing Randy. He, I have a feeling he's going to come up over and over again. I kind of feel like he's our patron saint of this podcast because he's like, he's the good grifter and he's the good con man, you know, even self self-professed he, he knows it and he's like a, a con man superhero that just goes around and busts people that's the thing like we love carny bullshit i mean you both love carny yep. bullshit we only don't like it when it takes advantage of people magicians wrestlers uh, those are that's all carny bullshit but it's awesome yeah, for sure. Oh, 100%. That is 100% accurate. That's that's the whole that's the whole reason this podcast even came together is because of that. Like we were like, "Hey, we love this carny shit, but we don't like when people get taken advantage of." Um, so James Randy, just like we just said, it was a he was a magician, but he was also a quote-unquote professional skeptic. So he really questioned everything. Um, and I'm going to keep this short because like I said, we will definitely do a full episode and there's a lot to his career. Um, you know, as, as a young man, he dabbled in a lot of different forms uh, of magic. He, he was a escape artist for a while. He did mentalism, um, stage magic, or just a few of the, the different areas, but he was very well-read, very well-studied. Like he knew, he knew his stuff. Um, I read that he spent an entire year when he was 13 years old in a full body cast after an accident. And so all he could do was read about magic and magicians and, and learn the art. So I think that that's probably why he got so interested so young in this 
Do we know why he was in the full body cast? I I didn't look into it because I didn't want to do that much reading into him just yet because <laughs> my brain has been full of this rotten reverend <laughs> and I'm ready to purge him. Maybe we do like a bonus episode sometime about Good Grift yep. featuring James Landy. We can just go into his story. Absolutely. I, I think we should do Good Grifts too. You know, I, I think that that's a, there's a fun, they're harder to find, but I think we can, I think we can get a, we, we can find a few, something a little uplifting. So yeah, so he, uh, James Randy over his career was all over TV, all over the radio. He hosted his own shows at certain points. He has a Ted talk uh, that he, that he put out. He's been granted a uh, MacArthur genius grant, which are this really prestigious grants. They're around, I think you get about $500,000 for the grant but based on the, the research and the work that you've been doing. And it's not strictly ap- academics. They give it to radio hosts, magicians, obviously. When's Chris Angel going to get that uh, genius grant? <laughs> yeah i don't know i kind of draw the line at chris angel i think put some respect on the mind freak's no, name no you're not we're gonna disagree on that <laughs> uh so randy was only a teenager when he exposed his first fraudster according to him he had walked by a church and saw a preacher performing a trick where he pretended to read the minds of the people in his congregation randy knew the trick he knew how it worked and he, so he got really upset because this preacher was taking advantage of the people that were in attendance. Uh, Randy said, I saw people there weeping real tears and getting very emotionally disturbed and believing that this man had supernatural powers. So James Randy is like fearless. And I think he was 17 when he, when he, this happened. So he walks into the church, gets up on the stage and explains to everyone in attendance how the trick worked in front of the preacher, in front of the whole congregation. He's like, he's not supernatural. I can do this too. Here you go. Or did he perform it? So he performed it on stage. So what was the preacher's reaction? So the preacher's wife called the cops and they arrested James Randy. For what? On what charges? I don't know. He got released. He only spent a couple hours in jail before he got released. But I think that was the lightning strike moment where he's like, this is what I'm destined to do. I'm destined to take these con men down. Just to give you a sense of how good he was as a magician and as an illusionist, he was called a fraud by a professor from the University of Buffalo. And he responded, he goes, yes, indeed, I'm a trickster. I'm a cheat. I'm a charlatan. That's what I do for a living. Everything I've done was by trickery. The response from the professor was, that's not what I mean. You're a fraud because you're pretending to do these things through trickery, but you're actually using psychic powers and misleading them by not admitting it. (laughs) So he was so good that his people thought he was a psychic. Yeah, they thought he really was magic. That he's 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 sitting there going, "I'm not magic. This is just sleight of hand, or this is you know, this is mnemonics. This is a cold whatever he whatever he was using at the time." And he's like, "No, it's a trick." And they're like, "No, you're really a psychic. You're a witch." Did he sit him down like, "Hey, I can teach you this too." <laughs> I mean, that was his whole thing, and he's he's very much kind of pioneered the exposed magic. Penn and Teller do it too, where they tell they they uh. give you some of the 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 behind the scenes look at the magic. They don't expose everything, but they show some of it. The cool thing about Penn and Teller is like they make it part of the trick. Like right. while Penn is like explaining how to do this trick, Teller's over there doing a whole different trick altogether. Exactly. And they are huge devotees of uh James Randy. So that it makes perfect sense that that's sort of the the lineage and that James Randy had that effect on a lot of a lot of magicians. I watched one of their specials from I think it was early 90s or late 80s on YouTube uh the other day and it, it's so good like it still holds up. Cuz they don't do the traditional tricks. They they create their own, which I think is something really unique to them and it's unique to a lot of the magicians that 
become really famous, like Mind Freak and um, you know some other uh, ones. They just take they take things known tricks and then they put their own spin and rewrite them and, and turn them into something else. So Peter Popoff kind of landed on James Randi's radar when Randy and a fellow magician named Steve Shaw attended one of Popoff's revivals. He's always had an, an interest in faith healers. And they noticed that when Popoff was doing his routine where he was calling out people's names and ailments and using their addresses, he noticed that he wasn't using like a teleprompter. He didn't have anything written in front of him. He also noticed that he was moving so quickly through names that there was no way that he was using a mnemonic to remember the order of the name and the ailment. So he wondered what was going on. Um, Shaw said he thought that he had an idea of what was happening and he wanted to get a closer look. Uh, and when he went up and got a closer look, he noticed that there was a small earpiece, a little hearing aid in one of Popoff's ears. And he went back to Randy and said, I think I got this figured out. So Randy immediately set to work to expose Peter Popoff. And it was a huge operation. He enlisted the help of a, a guy named Alec Jason, who had worked as an electron in electronic surveillance. He worked with police officer or police offices around the country and helping them with radio uh, scanning. I have a question. Couldn't nobody in the crowd see this earpiece either? They're small. They're small, and it just looks like a hearing aid. So somebody might just have thought, if they'd noticed it, they might have thought he just had a hearing aid. If, once again, my jaded ass would have been like, "That ain't no hearing aid." <laughs> That's an or he, you would say, "This is a guy who's claiming to heal people, but he can't heal his own ear." Right. <laughs> <laughs> like something's not well, we right. We see Austin. He's so selfless. He don't care about his own faults. He's just right. out here helping he, others. Yeah, he uses his powers for others and not himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this guy, Jason, had this guy, Alec Jason, had access to a radio frequency scanner that he installed in a San Francisco auditorium. This was the day before Popoff was supposed to hold one of his revivals. And so he turns it on, and what it does is it records all the normal radio frequencies that are present in that auditorium. So he captures all that data and he turns it off and they come back the next day, it's a hidden location, and he turns the scanner back on. So now what they're gonna do is they're gonna filter all of the frequencies that are that were already there, that were there the day before, right. and they're gonna specifically search for a new frequency, which would have been pop-offs frequency. Oh, that's really smart. You're right, you, you yeah. eliminate everything else so that you're not having to pay attention to, because there's so, I mean, where, where we are, I mean, there's so many radio waves just always bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Wi-Fi, there's just, there's tons of them. So now they can, yeah, now that they can easily identify them, they can isolate and record the conversations. They intercept everything. So when the revival starts, they turn on the scanner and they picked up a new broadcast at 39.17 megahertz, very specific number. And that's a bandwidth that's usually uh, only used by police and firefighters. Doesn't really affect the story. I just thought that was interesting. In theory, couldn't, per couldn't somebody just have a police scanner and like pick up what they were saying? I, in theory, yeah, I think so. If you were tuned to that frequency, you could absolutely do it. But I don't, I mean, you got these are like old ladies that are coming to this thing. They're not bringing a police scanner. Oh, oh no, my grandma's old as shit and she has a police scanner like in her house. And so, but did she carry it around with no, her? No, of course not. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Okay. And I also, I also feel like this is when this happens is 1986, no, 87. So I think police scanners are probably a little bit bigger and a little bit harder to get a hold of. But yeah, in, in theory, if, if these guys could do it, anybody could do it with the right equipment. Um, and had they known that that was the, the frequency, it becomes much easier. There's so just a lot of things that you have to know in order to be able to pick right. that up. Yeah, exactly. When they turn it on and they, they hear a voice and they're like, We've, we got him. 
and the voice is a woman's voice and she is directing pop off. And at the beginning of this episode where we played this clip, but I'm going to read it once again, just because it's kind of become infamous and in that this is the first thing that they captured. Hello, Petey. I love you. I'm talking to you. Can you hear me? If you can't, you're in trouble because I'm talking as well as I can. And then she like immediately shifts into business tone. I'm looking up names right now. Oh, wow. Like, oh, yeah. so uh, if she loves him, that means it's his wife. It very much sounded like Elizabeth Popoff. Okay. Family grifter. Yep. It's, it's going to get familiar and familiar. Oh, no. As we go on. <laughs> so they'd done what they set out to do and they caught Popoff red handed, but Randy wasn't entirely satisfied. He wanted overwhelming evidence. He was rigorous in his debunking. And so he would eventually enlist more than 60 volunteers over the course of six months to attend Popoff's various revival meetings. How did he find his volunteers? There was, it, it was, he's magicians. There were people that were, uh, aligned with him in terms of skeptics these are people that were like us we're like we don't believe that this guy should be defrauding such so as um, word of mouth type like networking word of mouth yeah absolutely absolutely people that were familiar with randy's work I mean, he wasn't new on the scene at this point he'd been doing this for a long time did pop off have like any clue that he was onto him we'll get there <laughs> we will get there yeah so the volunteers would go to the the revivals they would invent ailments they would dress up they'd be in disguise you know some of the sometimes one person would go to multiples in different cities and they went to these meetings all over the country and they would they would um tune in to the frequency they would record as much of the recording as they want but they also took notes about like the operation itself and what was happening and we mentioned how people were tossing thing uh their their prescriptions on stage when terrible commanded them to which is terrible but they were the ones that actually noticed that hey when they go clean up the prescriptions and put them in the trash there's no marijuana there's no pain pills there's nothing that actually has any street value they had marijuana prescriptions back then yeah, they have marijuana pills. Oh, you wait. never heard of marijuana pills? I mean, now I have. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't aware that they were back in the eighties. Marijuana's been around forever. Come on, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> I know it's been around. I just didn't know like people like recognize <laughs> the medicinal value of it. Well, I, yeah, I don't know about that, but they they just said that there were, they said there was a noticeable lack of any sort of narcotic with street oh, value. Oh, okay, okay. No oxycontin, no Percocet. Yeah, prescription or otherwise, none of that. So now I want to introduce you to a guy named Don Henvik. He was a volunteer that was apparently very good at coming up with a disguise and infiltrating these revival meetings. He did a bunch of them. He wanted to do another one. I mean, he went so far as he was like a big bearded guy and he shaved his, shaved his beard, shaved his head for a disguise. And oh, wow. he really went all out. I mean, I think he was like a true believer. Really committed to the bit. Off. Yep, absolutely. So for Don's next mission, he was to fake a disease that he couldn't possibly have, uterine cancer. And the reason he couldn't have uterine cancer because men don't have uteruses oh okay well i'm not just realizing that men don't have uteruses <laughs> I'll, just, I'll edit that for now. <laughs> georgia public schools <laughs> i got that oh, don't, don't want to say that that exposed where i live <laughs> i'm about to say i got that and the education and i i grew up in louisiana trust me <laughs> So now the challenge was disguising Don as a woman. So Don's disguise when he gets he gets the clothing, he does his hair, they put on makeup, and he comes up with a fake name. And I only leave this in because I think it's kind of weird. His made-up name is Bernice Manikoff. 
which is so close to Bernie Madoff. And it, I, it's a total coincidence. It has nothing to do with anything. When I read that, I was like, wow, Bernice Manikoff and Bernie Madoff. I don't know. So Bernice shows up at the crusade uh, in a wheelchair that they had rented because they said that she didn't, she couldn't walk very well uh, with another volunteer disguised as her son. Shortly after arriving, they were directed to the orchestra pit where all the other people in wheelchairs were seated. While there, Bernice overheard two other women say that they were asked to sit in the wheelchairs in the front row, even though they didn't regularly use one. So this, this, is, this is a little part of it. Bernice's son, son in quotes, then approached Elizabeth Popoff and told the story about his mom not being able to walk very well and her uterine cancer. Elizabeth took down all his information about his mother, and that's when the fun begins. Oh, boy. <laughs> so this is via the, the broadcast that they caught on tape. Elizabeth says, Bernice, Bernice Manikoff, Manikoff, the woman with the hair on her face. She's in a wheelchair and can walk. And so at that point, Don stood up, Bernice stood up and started walking towards Popoff. Elizabeth started screaming at Popoff via the earpiece. That's the guy from Anaheim. He's the stooge. It's a man, a man. Get away from him. That's the guy from Anaheim. Drop him quick. Drop him quick. So he- so he got some, he, they found out, they recognized him and they were like, this guy was at our, uh, the revival in Anaheim and it's actually a guy in disguise. So that was the first time that they'd ever caught one. As far as I know, they may have caught other ones before. They were definitely wise. So when they say drop him quick, does she mean like knock him out? No, I think it just means like get away from him quick, like get away from it, like do, do what you need to do and then get away, but don't dwell and don't make him walk. Like sometimes with these people that would, he would cure of their wheelchair, he'd have them run like laps in the auditorium oh go, now run and they would run back and forth and so he'd he'd spend extra time with some people because it made for really good television i was about to say like if he knocked them out oh how the turntables we go from <laughs> talking about knocking off little knocking out little tiny peter papa for him just laying out this old lady man person i don't i don't think pop off <laughs> could knock out a fly i really don't <laughs> <laughs> Uh, not an intimidating looking man, especially now. Uh, so it was at that point, Randy decided to wrap up his investigation. He was like, he had a close call. Uh, he'd already had hours of footage captured from the scanners, um, more than enough other evidence to expose Popoff. All he needed was a platform so he could get all of this out into the public. It just so happened that he was already booked on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. Carson oh, this is good. Love this kind of thing. Yeah. Carson. I mean, Carson is the biggest talk show in the world. He had the most viewers. He was the only late night guy and he loved James Randi. James Randi had exposed a couple of other uh, magicians, a, a psychic and a magician on his show previously. So when Randy comes and says, Hey, I got Peter Popoff. Carson's like, absolutely. Of course like, <laughs> people knew Popoff was So this is, this is the p- great place to do it. What would that be to, like the equivalent to today? Who would be that? It would be like, if you combined Kimmel Fallon, Fallon and Conan yeah Conan like all because basically there was really one late night show and it was Johnny Carson and then after Carson retired that's when like Letterman and Leno split um you know Letterman used to come on after Carson and so when Letterman didn't get the job he went to CBS Leno got the NBC job and then after those two sort of retired you started getting more and more of these late nights there's like a hundred late night shows now but in Carson's day he was the only one okay that was the show you watched so this was basically all eyes on Randy yeah this is yeah the closest thing to something like this and it definitely gets more eyes than johnny carson would have gotten would be like a super bowl or a big event like that okay okay those if a super bowl happened you know more often i don't know if it happened weekly (laughs) yeah yeah randy went on the air 
went on Carson uh, and presented his case. He played the footage that we played at the beginning. He played some other footage and he showed, you know, pop off in action. And then the, the actual broadcast laid over top of it. So you got to see, you'd hear what Elizabeth was saying. And then you would see Popoff go and do what he, what he, what she told him to do. And oh, so it was okay. just really obvious what was going on. And it went, it went over huge. It was a huge hit. The Tonight Show started getting just letters after letters after letters praising the the expose because you know why wouldn't you praise that? I mean, he's preying on old people right. primarily. But today's time, I don't think that would be very well received. I think it would have like. There, of course, there'd be like a group of people that would really appreciate that. But I feel like if somebody went and tried to expose a comment or a grifter on national television today, especially a beloved one, I feel like that would go the opposite route. I feel like they would have like hate mail and people trying to defend them. And I, I, I don't, I think you're right. I actually think you're that you're probably spot on. And I think that's a really kind of bad reflection of. <laughs> today's society <laughs> like the, the shift in mentality where it's you know instead of praising for a job well done there's people defending for you know right for public shaming someone that they liked the pop-off camp however was less than enthusiastic with the tonight show appearance after carson aired a pop-off spokesperson denied everything saying that randy was an opportunist who was looking to defraud their beloved prophet the actual statement was, everything Amazing Randy has said is not true. We are already considering legal action because we knew he was faking miracles at the Crusades for his own purposes. Peter Popoff Evangelist, Evangelistic Association is being attacked, but we are not alone. This group has also targeted Jerry Falwell, Oral Roberts, Jimmy Swaggart, and Pat Robertson, in addition to Reverend Popoff. We would like to ask Christians to pray concerning this attack on all these Christian organizations. This man is a magician and is using these tactics to get publicity for a book that he is writing to discredit God's work. Mm. We believe that God will not allow this attack on the ministry to continue. Well, it sounds like he kind of did allow it to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it's very much like deny, 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 deny. Right. This didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. He used a word that uh, kind of scared me, referred to himself as a prophet. Yep. Oh, yeah. He's always said he's a prophet. I think we went over that last episode, but I don't think I kind of like went into it. The word prophet is kind of scary. You're getting into like calling yourself God territory there. Yep. And that yep. sounds kind of culty to me. It is very culty. And it's it's very scary but that was the reason he said he could hear these these pull this information out of thin air it's because he was a prophet that god was speaking to directly and telling him the name of this woman and her ailments and her address and a relative's name you know like those he was pulling straight from god let's play the butterfly effect game what scenario or is there any scenario do you think could have led to pop off being a cult leader yeah i i like I, a jim jones situation I, I do. I think he, I think if he had, he's clearly charismatic and he's got a way of manipulating people. Right. And I think that that's the very fabric of his being. And I think that those are the things that really will lead to a cult leader. I think the way he grew up and his father being who he was had a huge influence on him. I think if his father maybe did something else, he could have made that turn. 
but I mean, right. he very much, like we talked about last time, like he very much idolized his father, even if he didn't outwardly say it, his actions, you know, like even the stories that he would mess up or make up would be about, they would reflect his father. Like his father was 13 when he started preaching. He was 13 when he started preaching. So there's right. that idolization, I think, played a lot into the way that he is grifting. See, I think not that I don't think he came too early, but I think if he would have came a little later, Q and I would have loved this guy. Yep. <laughs> Big time. Oh, that could have been his cult right there. I think the other thing that he didn't have that Jim Jones had was a physical church. This is not a church guy. I mean, you you grew up in a Pentecostal church. Right. The things that he does on his revivals are, are not anywhere close to what you see in an actual Pentecostal church service. Right. You know, there's there's no baptism. There's no physical church. There's nothing. I think you need a base of operations if you were going to have a cult. And this guy okay. doesn't. And we'll actually touch on that in a little he's bit. He's more in traveling circus territory. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a straight up con. It's not even a church. It's not even, it's not like a worship <laughs> service. It's a straight up, send me your money and good <laughs> things will happen. There's nothing else there. Oh, it's so blatant, man. It's scary. It's so blatant. It's so blatant. Um, He'd eventually admit that it was his wife on the other end of the receiver, but at that point, it was too late. Popoff went bust and filed for bankruptcy. Whoa, how soon after uh, the James Randy thing was this? In less than a year. Wow. And the kicker is his lawyer at the time insisted it had nothing to do with James Randy. Oh, bullshit. And it only it was because of mismanagement of money. They don't go from like king of the castle to a peasant in a year unless something major happens. To this day, he will not admit that I had anything to do with Randy. That's a hard-headed guy. Oh, yeah. he just He's always towed the line. It was financial mismanagement. That's it. It was a big enough story, this this whole thing, that uh, a movie loosely based on this, the pop-off incident called Leap of Faith, starring Steve Martin and Deborah Winger, who is an 80s queen. I, I love her. Was released in 1992. Steve played a pop-off-like character named Jonas Nightingale, which is a brilliant name for a Great TV name. preacher. Jonas Nightingale. Uh, later, it, that was the movie was actually turned into a Broadway show, which didn't stay on Broadway for very long. Oh, wow. but yeah, fun fact there. So it's successful. Yeah, it, I I need to I need to watch the movie again. I I haven't seen it in a long time, and I remember when I did see it, I was much much younger and didn't probably grasp what was going on exactly. But I I, I want to watch it, but I also want to be completely through with Peter Popoff for the rest of my life and never have to think <laughs> or talk about it anymore. <laughs> And if you don't know yet, you'll see you'll see why we'll get even deeper into this. So, what's Peter Popoff up to today? I'd love to know. I know this is this is the part you really don't know because you knew a little bit about the James yeah, I knew about Randy James takedown. Randy. So are we jumping straight from the eighties to the two thousands, twenty tens? Well, to the nineties. Okay. Okay. So unfortunately, in nineteen ninety eight, he mounted a comeback. And he has a new organization. It's called the People United for Christ. His ministry started buying up airtime on BET. No. Black Entertainment Television. He, so he moved from one community to the other. Yep. To grip them. He is now preying on Black people. Okay. Don't like this. Nope. Don't <laughs> like this at all. This is, it's really, really gross. Um, he's using pretty much the same tried and true grift 
the one things the one thing he's changed is he no longer does the the voices from heaven because I think he's afraid to get exposed again. <laughs> so right. he's not pulling names out. He's not doing that. Um, he knows ailments and and but he's not doing the I, I'm getting this from God. And he has a new gimmick, and that is the miracle spring water. Oh, I know about this. <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't doing this in the 80s. This is a new thing. This is a 90s thing. So if you that's right, if you call today, you get your very own packet of pop-offs and miracle spring water. Drink the water, spit in the specified donation amount, and you will soon receive a financial windfall that will change your life. So you can't just drink the water. You've got to also send your money before you drink the water. Yeah, it's a combo. It's a it's a gimmick. Uh, it's the same as his uh, other stuff. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. So the water isn't blessed until you give him money? Yep. <laughs> Uh, he doesn't i know it'll get into the fine print of that but basically yeah you do have to send the packet back with money <laughs> but i'm going to read you just some of the testimony i've got three of them that kind of make me made me laugh uh that i pulled from some of his infomercials uh so these are testimonials about the miracle spring water i ordered the miracle spring water and i and you told me i was gonna get fourteen thousand dollars you told me when i was gonna get it and i received it out of nowhere, $14,000. So uh, once again, I want to know, does the Bank of Jesus have a brick and mortar? Can I, I go in there with I, 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 well, We're going to talk about the Bank of Jesus in just one second. Oh, <laughs> okay. thought about that. Oh, no. <laughs> kind of. I'm just trying to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's even better when you're like, there's no way this is the trick. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> All right, go ahead. I had an accident with propane where it blew up in my eye and damaged my right eye. And I was four or five months in complete pain and I couldn't handle the light. The doctor said it would be permanent damage. Like all the sails, tear ducts, I couldn't cry. There'd be pain. I got the water, put it on my, my eye and have since had an eye exam for sure. So I have the documented testimony, complete cells, all restored. My eye is completely fine. No evidence of it ever being injured, completely healed. And that man's name was Hank Hill. <laughs> it's just, yeah. The pro, I mean, really? You, you burned your eye and now you're fine just from the miracle water. All right. So the last one was I was in two car accident and the doctors kept saying, well, here, you got to take painkillers. I used your miracle spring water and it's gone. Now I should say that there was an edit in the middle of that testimonial. So I'm not sure if once she used the Miracle Spring water that her pain was gone or all of her money was gone, uh, TBD. Oh, okay. So Actually, are these testimonials coming from real people? No. Or no, are they paid? Okay, okay. They're paid. Um, so like I mentioned before, he figured out how to cover himself. He now, on, as part of his infomercial, boasted about divine transfers like never before so god has set up direct deposit you couldn't you couldn't hear it but i just dropped my head when he said divine transfers that is ridiculous that no, is... but the whole thing is divine transfers like never before the irs ain't gonna like that I'm just like this is crazy <laughs> yeah how do you audit god <laughs> Like, where is this coming from? What kind of does well, obviously you go hit up Led Zeppelin and get uh, you find out where the stairway to heaven is, and you go up there and you tell St. Peter, Here are your papers, you've been served. <laughs> I it's just so wild to me, but it's it's not, it's they talk about it too. They a lot of it is just like cash checks coming, these are the testimonials. But some people will be like, I woke okay. up and I was completely out of debt, like all my debt had been paid off. That, that sounds ridiculous. It is ridiculous. <laughs> so the yeah, obviously those are all paid testimonials. 
They seem to do the trick, though. Popoff's empire was rebuilding. By 2005, which is just seven years after he makes his comeback, his operation was earning more than $24 million a year. It's wild that like people as a collective forget so fast. Like this man was just exposed. It's you know what? It's funny you said that because the next line that I have written is like it's wild that no matter how many times he's exposed, he can just start up again and pull off the exact same fraud over and over again. <laughs> Great minds think alike. I'm telling you, man, that was that's that's it. So we don't actually know what he's made after 2005 because in 2006, Peter Popov Ministries purchased a small church in Texas called the Word of the World. It means that Peter Popov Ministries was no longer a nonprofit organization it was now officially a church and tax exempt oh no so if you go tax exempt if you're a church this also uh removes the burden of public tax filings so no one can see what he's making anymore that's uh, that's awful so now he's terrible all of this money and has to pay zero in taxes i don't want to get too into politics talk here but that that law's got to go man like there's too many people getting away with this. Yeah. Well, and this is and this this is this is the kind of abuse that I think like makes people. This is the exact type of abuse of that law and of that status that I think people bring up over and over again. Um, so a note about Word of the World Church. It initially operated out of a storefront, not in an actual church. In 2016, a reporter doing a story on Popoff drove to the church on a Sunday, and rather than find a religious service like you'd expect, he found a deserted parking lot in an industrial park. There wasn't even a sign for the church. Even that was a grift? Oh, come on, man. So, so what was he doing his sermons? Was he still on the road? Yeah, he's still on the road. Ugh. So maybe, or maybe there's a church near his California headquarters. Spoiler, there's not. <laughs> uh, there was no actual physical chapel or church owned by the ministry. Instead, in the break room of People for United, People United for Christ. There was a large wooden cross hanging on the wall. Employees refer, referred to the room as the chapel. The entirety of the ministry was just commercial office space to sort and process incoming letters. That doesn't seem like a very good scapegoat, there. To have you. No, it's. I, 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 I honestly, when I read that, I, I, it read more that it was kind of a running joke for uh, the employees. And they were like, "Oh yeah, it's chapel. There's a big cross on the wall." <laughs> it's so bad it's so bad there's just there's there's nothing about this that's that's so good at this point does his employees know that like they're helping out a grifter long-term employees do <sighs> that lack of moral compass doesn't sit well with me they well they also said there was they they, they have a, a lot of undocumented um immigrants working as sorters and mm. processors so I think even when they're looking for people, they are preying on the most vulnerable. Uh, but the people that are in like management positions and sort of positions of power, they know what's going on. But they're usually rewarded enough to make them look the other way. It's one of those like gray areas, I guess I have. It's like, I understand you want to provide for your family and that's cool. Just get a normal job, man. <laughs> you ain't got to rip people off. Yeah. I'm doing fine and I'm not out here grifting. No. Nope. You know? <laughs> um. So I, I told you that, you know, there's no financial information after 20 or 2005. We do have the tax returns for 2005. So I can tell you what they, each of the members of Popoff's family reported to the IRS. So Popoff in 2005 took in a salary of $628,732. He got an additional $48,000 for 
his role as a board member. He paid his wife, Elizabeth, $202,920. And now his kids are in the family business. His son, Nicholas, was in an operational role. He also worked with one of the marketing companies that they partnered with to get all the marketing material out. And in 2005, he was paid $181,811. My God, just between them, that's almost a million dollars. Yep. And now his daughter, Amy, who gets on the road and preaches with Popoff. She wants to really kind of take over the family business in the profile position. She put it, she got $176,008. How old are the kids at this point? Um, That's a good question. I'm not totally sure. I know that they were... They were married and had kids, so I'd want to say. Oh, so they're old enough to know better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, they're they're way in on this. Uh, in okay, fact, this family sucks. <laughs> this family sucks, and this family marries people that suck because Amy's husband at the time, now is now ex husband, was the owner of the marketing company that used to do all the mailers for them. So he's grifting on Popoff's business. Um, the, the PO box for his company is the same as Popoff's operation. It's just considered a separate entity. So he's processing all the letters. He's capturing all the data. He's making sure the mailers go out. He's helping. He's like an advertising and mailing firm. But he also has a company called America's Debt Solution. And they are uh, they deal in debt settlements and loan modifications. Could you imagine the pillow talk between them? Like, hey, baby, you see how many people we ripped off today? Yeah, I know. We made so much money. <laughs> but it's even worse. It's even more sinister than that. Because now this guy, his name is Jason Cardiff. He now has a list of some of the most desperate people in the most desperate situations that need money. And so he takes his financial company and goes in his debt consolidation and debt settlement company and he calls them directly now he's got a database of customers that he can prey on for predatory loans so did him and Popoff ever like ever like collaborate on that well yeah i mean i don't know i it's i have no way of knowing but i'm sure Popoff knew that his mailing list was being used by his son-in-law so I, I have no doubt that he was getting some sort of kickback from that organization. See what I would do. Well, oh, not what I would do. I was it, say, you, know, watch it, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, what I would imagine Pop would do would maybe like go to him, like, "Hey, I know you have some contact info for all these desperate, financially ruined people. Why don't you give me some of their some of that info, and I can go to them and offer them a divine uh, transfer." and try to get some more money out of them. So it actually works the opposite. This guy is using Popoff's list to double down on the prey. So Popoff has given him access. He's like, these are all the people that are writing letters because they're in bad financial situations. You know, you can use this list to go after them with your debt consolidation services. Okay, I understand now. Yeah, so it was, was that was the scheme, but it was the opposite. So they were paying Popoff to be on a list that didn't, was used by a debt consolidation company. That's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And it gets a little worse. So Popoff didn't always ask for cash or checks. Sometimes he would say, send me your jewelry. Oh, no. So like the only thing these people have. Yep. Like if you don't have the money, you can send jewelry. And, and China and, you know, fine, uh, you know, anything that, any sort of metal value. And, Scum of the earth. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> So this same guy, Jason Cardiff, the son-in-law, former son-in-law now, um, 
also had a site called or a company called cashyourgoldnow.net. I've heard of that. Yeah. So, like on commercials. Yep. So that that was an operation that was set up to take jewelry and gold and melt it down and be able to to resell it. Um, and he was in on that and Popoff was, you know, soliciting all this gold from people. It's horrible. It, it's absolutely the worst, but it does and show. And there's no doubt Popoff is like selling it to him like oh, yeah. for like a discounted rate or whatever. And he's absolutely. just melting it down. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it's just, it's so slimy, but it also really shows you how it evolved from his original grift into something that's like much bigger. All right, much and, more sinister too. Oh, much more sinister. You know, I mean, the 80s stuff probably, it was just as sinister, just not as sophisticated. No, no, it's, he's gotten smart about it. He has. He's diversified. According to a source who worked for Popoff, Peter would boast that he had about $2 million in cash stashed away in a vault in his home to protect him against any hardships. And I just want to say, all these rich assholes have like a panic room <laughs> or a vault. They're all so fucking paranoid that someone's going to come and take their money. It's unbelievable. If someone tells me they have $2 million in a vault, I'm grabbing a ski mask and a gun. <laughs> We're about to get rich. If someone like Popoff said it, yeah. I mean, hell, hell yeah. <laughs> I'll probably just edit that part. <laughs> <laughs> you are the editor. So I, I, would I tell you that it's the same old grift as it was before? It really, really was. Uh, I know I read one of the uh, letters during the last episode, but I have a contemporary one that I think is just as interesting. And I want to read that. The, this is from a mailer that included four different colored pieces of cloth, one red, one blue, one gold, and one green. So Popoff asks his followers to do the following. Here's what you need to do. Take the blue prayer cloth in your hand. I felt directed to send this blue cloth to you. And the very fact that the Holy Spirit had me send it to you is very telling. It says that you have not been totally well. It, I think you already know this. Blue is the color of peace. Let the Holy Spirit remove all anxiety, fear, and worry from your life. Let the peace of God flow over you and through you and completely remove that nagging health concern. I believe that many of your health concerns were caused by stress and worry. Simply hold the blue cloth over your heart and meditate on what's been plaguing you. Saturate the cloth with all of your negative feeling, thoughts, and vibrations. <laughs> then turn those thoughts into envisioning your good health. Envision yourself surrounded by divine energy and enjoying good health. Then once the prayer cloth is saturated with the powerful positive thoughts, place it carefully into the reply envelope. Oh, is this dude a preacher or a shaman? Number two, <laughs> take out the red prayer cloth. I don't have to tell you what's going on here. Three times I was strongly prompted to send you this red cloth. Three times you have let it love go. And don't tell me that in your relationship is full and satisfying as it now stands. The Holy Spirit is trying to make you aware of something. Love is in the mind. You can't love only with your heart. Take this red cloth right now and hold it up to your forehead. Think now. Think. What is it? Who is it that you really want? Fill this cloth with your thoughts on the kind of person you dream of. Keep thinking. Envision the one you really love and see your relationship coming together. Then once this cloth is full of your most precious hopes and dreams, carefully place this red cloth in the reply envelope. Is this Tinder for Christians? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's also kind of a fucked up assumption that whoever you're with is you're not happy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that puts some really bad thoughts into people said. Right? And it's like envision a new partner and they'll show up magically for you. Number three, <laughs> take out the green cloth. I believe 
it's pretty obvious why the Holy Spirit prompted me to send you a green cloth. Green represents life, money, prosperity, success, and growth. This green anointed cloth is now giving you an opportunity to take control of this area of your life. And you desperately need to say yes, because it's about money. As I said before, you should have already been rich by now and a significant windfall is out there. It's waiting for you. And if you will just unite your faith with mine and let me help you gain control of this important area, at least $27,000 is what I'm talking about. Simply put this green cloth where your money problems stem from, your wallet. Place the green prayer cloth in there for a moment in your wallet. Now hold your wallet in your hands and think, what are the opportunities you have let slip through your hands? There have been more than one to come your way, but you need to be able to recognize them. It is here that I can help you the most. Once you have saturated this green cloth with positive thoughts of money, windfalls, and opportunities, even lucrative job opportunities, place it in the envelope and send all of the cloths back to me. Very important. Number four, the gold cloth. Now take out the gold cloth. Yes, Satan has caused a lot of things to turn out wrong for you, but together, <laughs> my putting our faith in God now things are going to turn out right. Believe me, the best is yet to come. God speaks these words to me. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with her, the person's name. The same power God released upon Moses to lead an entire nation out of bondage is about to start working mightily in you. Now take this golden cloth and rub both of your hands lightly on both sides. Then clap your hands together out loud and make a joyful no noise until the Lord for the <laughs> favor that's about to be bestowed upon him. Uh, I could just imagine somebody's like... Yes. Yeah. So then he rambles a bunch um, about Satan trying to prevent you from operating in the miracle realm of God's supernatural prosperity. And then we get to the ask. Here's the money. Obey God and sowing a seed of $27. If you have to borrow it or let something go for a couple of days, do it. I see a new endeavor that will bring magnificent rewards in three months from the day you obey God in this. Print here five times. Miracle money is coming. He has five little blanks for them to print that. That is particularly evil because not only is he asking you for your money, he's like, go out and sell your stuff, borrow it, go take out a loan, do whatever you can to yep. send me money. And he's, he's craving, and he's. I mean, and he, and he targets, and we're going to talk about his victims, but it, it just he's targeting the most desperate people. It's awful. It's terrible. And and what's even more screwed up is. Um, since he's been back on the air since the original debunky he's been debunked and exposed a bunch a lot i mean and on major platforms he's there's been stories on inside edition abc news pbs uh tons of local and national newspapers is this pre-internet 98 where's internet it's not great i know i was on it um, <laughs> but it's not all that i mean great. i was alive and i don't think i had internet in my house until I was a freshman in high school, so 2008. Yeah, so I, there was internet, but I mean, this is we're we're talking about this stuff is still going on today. All it takes is a Google search, people. Before you send people money, please look them up. Well, I'm about to we're about to talk about that very thing, um, but I do want to say that as of this recording, us uh, sitting down, Peter Popoff is on national television 14 times a week. No fucking way. Yep. On what station? Um, there is a prayer television station that's targeting black audiences i cannot think of the name of it right this second okay um, but there is a it's a 24-hour prayer station and he's one of the only white preachers on there but he's he's on the air that's a that's a fucking shame and i know you're listening owners of that prayer station you should be ashamed of yourselves that is terrible so i i just want to say i i think that 
COVID has really exposed something that is related to Peter Popoff. And I think that there are a lot of folks without access to the internet or smartphones. And it's really showing up over and over again as the bulk of vaccine registration is taking place online. And then there's so many people that don't have that and aren't being able to get registered for it. And I think these are the same people that Popoff is targeting. Right. I don't. I don't have any definitive proof, but it's kind of my hunch that he's going for for a lot of people that don't have access to all this stuff. That really gets under my skin because when I think about that, I think about my grandparents who are in yep. the '80s and they don't have a fucking clue about what the internet is. They don't even know how to turn on a computer. Yep. My 100%. grandma calls me when she mutes her TV, and I need to come over and unmute it for her. <laughs> That's how technologically advanced that generation is, and the fact that he's preying on them is fucking evil. It's terrible. Yep. It oh, it's horrible. It's horrible because, like you said, like one Google search will turn up an overwhelming number number of stories about what a fraud right. Peter Popoff is. I I think that 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 very fact, the Google fact, has me believe that, like we just said, people don't have access to the internet, don't care, or if they find those stories, it makes them double right. down on their belief. You know, and this gets into a lot of conspiracy-minded stuff. People where they that there's some bigger force that's out to get the person that they like. And so these are all signs of that takedown effort. So I know, I know up until now, we've talked about Popoff and his scams, but I want to drive the point home that this man is not a good person. And I think we've done a pretty good job of this episode, but I really just want to, you know, put a lid on it and, and be done with this fucking guy. Uh, he is genuinely a bottom feeder who steals money with false promises. He's vile. And so I want to talk a little bit more about his victims. And I, I think it's really easy to write these folks off as uneducated or dumb. And I don't think that that's fair. Right. And in fact, I think that's probably pretty unlikely. These are people that are going through significant hardship. Many of them are desperate and will take desperate measures and risks for just a sliver of hope. They're financially burdened or have suffered at the hands of a really broken healthcare system. These are oppressed people and they're, they're yeah. doing whatever they can to make mince meat. And I, and I think what happens is their faith leads them to people like Popoff. Right. And it's, it's not that dissimilar from people who play the lottery, right? If there's a chance, even a very small chance that you could win the jackpot, why wouldn't you play? Yeah. The comparison between the lottery and people like Popoff really falls apart pretty quickly because the price of lottery tickets doesn't go up right. as you pay, as you play. Whereas Popoff continually asks more and more money from his devotees. Well, uh, why? My question is like, at what point, like, what, where's the straw that breaks the camel's back? Like, where are you willing to say enough is enough? I've paid you, let's say a thousand dollars and nothing's changed. My life is still the same. Like, where do they draw the line? I think it varies person to person, you know, I, I in the stories and I'm going to read you, I think three, four stories that I've got here about victims and they're all different. And I think everybody has their own breaking point, right? They, they really, really do. Um, so this is an example of one of the victims speaking out. Um, Janet Morgano was a single mother of two living in Boynton Beach, Florida. She was taken in by Popoff's claims of debt cancellation, initially sending him between $20 and $30 at a time. Then in late 2010, Popoff sent a letter asking for $1,001. Morgano wound up mailing him over $300 money she desperately needed as she struggled to recover from a car accident and pay her monthly bills. 
Now, I don't know how much he's sending before, and $300 might sound like not very much to some people, but that's the difference between... That's food on the table. That's feeding your children. That's keeping the lights on. That's everything. That's a rent payment. Yeah. That's everything. And just so callously to take this money from this person who really needs it and give it to a guy who flies private jets everywhere he goes. He lives this like insanely, and we didn't touch on that, but it goes without saying that he's just this crazy lavish lifestyle. And first you know, first class hotels. He always rents the presidential suite at any hotel that he's at. Um, it, it's, it's, it's disgusting. He's got a fleet of cars. I mean, he's just, it's, it's really, really vulgar. This is one from actually the 80s of, of him fleecing his flock. When Gertrude answers the phone, she doesn't just say hello. She shouts, praise the Lord. And I just, I have to say, I really like Gertrude. <laughs> I really like Gertrude. She's my girl. <laughs> Praise Jesus. How you been? <laughs> <laughs> Praise the Lord. I love it. You might say that Gertrude, who is 66 and a widow, takes her religion seriously. But until recently, her children didn't realize how seriously she took it. Gertrude isn't a re regular churchgoer. She prefers to get her religion from the TV preachers. For the last year or so, her favorite has been Reverend Peter Popoff, a California preacher whose weekly show is broadcast in Chicago and other TV markets. Like many of his competitors, Popoff claims to heal the sick. But he has another gimmick for raising funds. He says he floats Bibles into the Soviet Union and other communist country on helium-filled balloons. He figures that if enough Bibles come plopping down out of the sky in Russia, the communists will mend their wicked ways. It's the Lord, it's raining Bibles. Uh, in quotes, mom watches him every week, her daughter said, but we didn't know how much of an impression he made on her. Not until the letter came from the bank addressed to another daughter who has joint Tennessee on her mother's savings. The letter said, thank you for your past patronage. We hope to serve you in the future. The daughter immediately checked with the bank. She found that her mother had cashed $21,000 in certificates of deposit. Oh. The $21,000 was her life savings, the proceeds of her late husband's insurance policy. I think you know where this that, is going. Oh, that's disgusting. Gertrude's only sources of income at that time were social, social security and the interest that she earned off of that $21,000 in the bank. And people, social security is not a lot. Like, no. it's not. Uh, I lived with my grandparents no. for a number of years after I graduated high school and while I was in high school. And they also lived off social security. And let me tell you, it does not go far. Nope, not at all. Not at all. The article continues. Uh, when we had a family meeting and asked her about it, she got hysterical. She said, we just didn't understand the situation. She said that Peter Popoff needed the money to float those Bibles into Russia. So her kids asked her about how she's going to live. And her response was, the Lord will provide. Praise be the Lord. So yeah. Wake up. <laughs> but it's not over. But it's not over yet. It's going to get even, you're going to get even more mad. Her kids sent Popoff a letter via registered mail pleading for the return of the money. After two months, they hadn't heard anything back. So they wrote another letter threatening to take the story to the press. Back to the story. This time they received a quick reply from Peter Popoff. Naturally, he said he was broke. TV preachers always say that they're broke. That's why they're always asking for money on TV. Why the fuck are they on TV? Are they not getting paid? <laughs> no, they are. It's, that's a very good point that they have to buy the time for them to be on TV. Popoff said he was in a very small organization with no emergency funds. In fact, Popoff said, the balance at our bank right now is $150 overdrawn. He went on to say that the instant Gertrude's $21,000 check arrived, it was immediately used to cover emergency expenses and it all been spent. Popoff didn't say if whether old Gert's dough was used to buy any balloons or helium tanks. 
He said he'd like to help and might do so when his current financial crisis was over, but not right now. And then it says, exactly your point. I'm surprised Popov is having such a hard time making ends meet since he has enough money to buy regular TV time in at least 35 major markets, including Chicago, Atlanta, Dallas, and just about every Sunbelt area where old people might watch him. And this is late 2010s, right? No, this is in the 80s. Oh, wait. Oh, I thought, okay, okay. I was... The last The last one I read, the last one I read was from 2010. This is from the 80s. Sorry, is... ADD Dalton, don't mind me. But... <laughs> Oh my God, that's awful. It's terrible. $21,000. That's a lot of money. This is, yeah, this is a, a substantial I, 1980s money, no less. That's, yeah, 19, 1983. And this was a syndicated article. So um, Mike Royko is the one who wrote it, but then it got sold. He, he's a writer in Chicago and it got sold to markets all over. So this is three years, four years before James Randi exposes him. People knew what was going on. Like, Randy wasn't doing anything other than getting that concrete evidence and going on the Carson show. But a lot of people knew what this guy was up to. Faith is a motherfucker, man. People, people will believe no matter what. And again, I I just want to stress that it's not just financial. A lot of these folks are true believers will avoid seeking medical treatment, thinking instead that life-threatening illnesses will mystically cure themselves. There's just not a lot of coverage on that aspect, because frankly, a preacher scamming money is a lot more interesting of a story than someone suffering due to little or no medical care. I mentioned in the last episode that his letters looked like Peter Popoff himself had handwritten parts of them. Uh, and this is this would cause his followers to think that they had a personal connection to him. So what do you think would happen if one of Popoff's victims showed up in California at his headquarters? Oh, no, they would think that Popoff knew who they were and that he would come out and talk to him and help him. Oh, yes. So this is from a woman named Crystal Sanchez's book called The Real Truth Behind People United for Christ about her time working in the ministry. And this is, this is fairly current. I believe the book was published in 2013. When I returned to my normal day-to-day operations, apparently a partner, victim, was dropped off by a taxi to People United for Christ in order to speak with Peter. This was an absolute no-no. People United for Christ did not approve of partners coming to the facility and requesting to speak with Peter. The audacity of these people to call them partners. Right? Oh my God. Uh, if they arrived, they were to be informed that Peter was unavailable to speak with them. This day... A partner came in the lobby and was demanding she speak with Peter. She insisted that he had personally handwritten letters to her for years now, and they had been communicating back and forth. She insisted he knew her life story and that he was the only person who understood her. So how do they, this had to happen before, right? For them to have a policy like that. Yeah, they, it's definitely happened before. I don't have any other examples of it, but they have kind of a, this policy in place where they they have a routine. It's go, it, I'm going to go on. This one's, this one's brutal. This lady sold all of her personal possessions except for what fit in one suitcase. She sold her home, disowned all of her family, and flew halfway across the United States in an effort to meet with Peter Popoff himself. She disowned her family because they simply couldn't comprehend the connection that she and Peter had with one another. So she got rid of her family for... And, and sold her house. She sat in the lobby 
with the security guard holding the letters that pop that Peter had written her insisting that she meet with him. She needed to prove everyone she knew wrong and tell them that she had personally met Peter and discussed the issues that they had been writing back and forth. Peter's assistant was immediately advised to book the partner a one-way ticket back to her hometown. Susanna and Raymond, who were two of the staff members, informed the partner that Peter couldn't meet with her, but they would be happy to purchase her a ticket to go back home. The lady insisted that there was no need for her to go back home because there was no one left that she associated with. All of her family and friends believed she was crazy to pick up and leave everything she owned and fly halfway across the States to speak with Peter. She insisted they just didn't understand the connection that she possessed with Peter. Meanwhile, Peter doesn't know who the fuck she is. So considering the partner wasn't cooperating, it just keeps going. I'm sorry to say. Considering that the partner wasn't cooperating, Suzanne and Irma were in agreement that they should send the partner to the nearest women's shelter. They called her a taxi, and while she waited, she sat with the only person who had any compassion to sympathize with her, which was the security guard. She stressed to him how much Peter understood her and had written her so. She insisted that she had proof in her hands, and she showed him all the letters Peter had sent her. She pleaded with him, hoping that he would assure her. She longed for some insinuation that she had just caused to come halfway across the States to meet Peter. After about an hour or so, the taxi arrived and the partner was on her way to the women's shelter in San Bernardino, California. Did the security guard at least have the decency to tell like, no, <laughs> no. It doesn't say from that, from that encounter or from ah, this, this write-up. That's terrible. Um, it just okay. gets worse and worse. It's still getting to get worse. Okay. When Peter found out about the partner showing up, his response was, quote, so I heard we had someone who just wanted to move right in with us, suitcase and all. Oh, uh, that's terrible. That was a joke. It was just funny to him. It's just this woman disowned her family and sold yep. her house. Yep. Yep. Okay. This is the last part. You ready? No. This, you're, no, you're not. <laughs> I just, when I was reading this, it just was like, you got to be kidding me. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. So the staff called to inform Peter's daughter, Amy, about the situation. Amy's job at this time was partner relations. So she was the one that was supposed to be handling these sorts of things. Um, her reply was, have Susanna call her, tell her to give her the suicide hotline number, and tell her that we are praying for her. What? Did yeah. this woman mention anywhere that she was going to kill herself? No, not anywhere. Uh, so just putting thoughts into her head. Like maybe if we convince her that she has these thoughts will be rid of her or trying to relieve the liability i guess you could any of this be like solved by legal action like if somebody <sighs> said i'm gonna sue i don't know i don't know this is wild this is wild but this is also i i think what you're seeing a lot of it is is first of all they treat these people like absolute dog shit right these people that are funding i mean there's that that is beyond they're, they're, any way you should ever treat anybody is inhuman. It, it's there's no concern about anyone other than the organization and the family. Right. And one of the things that really stood out to me is like the audacity to call your victims partners in your organization is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And, and it's just, it's so sad and it, it really strikes with like, a lot of the QAnon stuff and how families have been disowned, you know, yeah. family members have been disowned because of their fervent belief in this kind of stuff. It's there, there's a lot of parallels to things that are going on or have been going on for a while. Now I, I will say about that book, it's a self-published book. So uh, it doesn't, it, there's not any sort of fact checking, but after reading the entire book and there's a lot of weird, horrible stories in it, 
I think that the author wrote it in good faith. It doesn't feel like a gotcha, you know, and she, right. the author herself said that she was a spiritual, she's a religious person, didn't really know who Popoff was, got in there, slowly saw how terrible things were, felt horrible about it. Cause she's like, I can't in good conscience stay here. And she didn't last long. She quit because she was just like, this is unbelievable. And just, this is, I mean, on top of the scams, it also really sounded like a really toxic work environment. Oh, no doubt. Oh, meow. <laughs> yeah, come here. Come here. Anyway, and one more story. Because not everybody buys into Peter's bullshit. Right. This is from an article entitled Televangelist Gives Back Woman's Cash. Oh, so somebody got it. I, I wanted to end on a high note, sort of. I would say this is a high note, sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> Televangelist Peter Popoff's ministry has reimbursed an Nemo woman after she went public with concerns about fundraising techniques used by the California-based church. I probably screwed up the name of that place. It is a town in British Columbia. Um, okay. Um, Josie Gurney, 58, almost threw away the envelope from the Vancouver branch of the Word of the World Ministries, which is an extension of Peter Popoff's People United for Christ, thinking it was just another appeal for money from the parent organization. But she looked inside the envelope and she found a check for $69.08. It arrived less than a month after Gurney went public uh, through the Daily News with concerns about how Popoff's ministry raises money through the sale of holy water and other religious artifacts. Each item comes with detailed instructions on how to use the items and requests for money. The brief letter said the chick was to reimburse her for donations she'd made in the past. It said that her name had been added to the no mail list and thanked her for her previous support. A word for the world, British Columbia employee who asked not to be identified. said the California office told her to send the check after she forwarded them a copy of the daily news article. She said, although she's not a member of the church, she does know it considers it does a considerable amount of good work in third world countries. Mm. Questionable, mm. very questionable. Gurney became disillusioned after getting what appeared to be personal letters written in what she called an increasingly demanding tone, then learned after getting her sister involved that her sister's letters were identical. The final straw was a television documentary detailing the rise and fall of Popoff's multi-million dollar faith healing empire in the 80s. Hmm. So he didn't have a problem returning $69, but he, there was no way he was returning poor Gertrude's $21,000. Well, there's a big difference between yep. $69 and $21,000. Oh my God. That's, that's a life-changing amount of money. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's, that's what I got. <laughs> that's him. So, I didn't want to end. I, I didn't want to end on the downer. So I put that last story in, but I don't know how else there is to end with this guy. So where are we at now? Where's Peter Popoff at now? What's he's he up doing to? the same thing. Like I said he's been on the air. He's on the air fourteen times every week. Ugh. Not, I mean, there's nothing has changed. That's very unsettling. It's That's, disheartening. Yeah, it is. He's he's just he he keeps going and he gets busted over and over and over and over again, but he just keeps going. Now, I will say that recently, uh, well, at least as of two years ago, the Justice Department came up with a, a new initiative to crack down on elder fraud, which this would definitely fall under. Oh, no, no doubt. And as of two day, three days ago, Thursday, we're recording this on a Sunday, the Congress passed a bill that needs to go into the Senate, but it's called the Fraud and Scam Reduction Act. And it's about 
building this new team inside the F- yeah, FTC. They're going to build a office for the prevention of fraud targeting seniors. Uh, and it's this new division of government that's going to apparently crack down on these t- sorts of schemes. Um, and it was overwhelmingly passed in Congress. There were eight congressmen who voted against it. Everybody else voted for it. And now it goes under the well, Who the fuck? <laughs> Uh, honestly it's a lot of the people you might think it would be okay yeah yeah uh, without naming so, me, I read, what I read, up major telly green <laughs> uh, yeah i read the list and i was like i'm not really surprised by any of these yeah <laughs> so and I, I i would just i'm gonna say it a lot of these names could potentially be grifters once they're out of congress and right i think that they realize that this is limiting their financial options once their congressional careers are over yeah Either that or they're profiting from it already. Yep. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a bill. I don't know how much it's going to do. It, it sets up a, an advisory board with industry people or people and leaders of various industries. And then it has a division that handles these complaints. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it's not going to lead to a lot. It'll, it'll probably knock off some small time players, but right. some of these big boys are going to be harder to catch even yeah. if it's right in your face. So in closing, I guess, so where do you see, the sto- how do you see the story of Peter Popoff ending? Do you think he'll just keep doing this forever and ever until he eventually dies? Or do you think he'll eventually get caught? I, I think that now he's a church, it's going to be really hard for him to get popped again. Tax exempt status, baby. Yep. And I think that the, the last thing any administration from a, like a governmental point of view, last thing any administration wants to get tagged as is taking down churches. That's right. such a, like a, no, don't do that kind of situation. So unless he runs into some sort of financial catastrophe, I think he's going to do it until he decides to retire and hands it off to his daughter or his kids, his daughter and his two sons. What about you? What do you think? I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed the story. I wish he would have, wish he would have fucking died allegedly uh, in Minecraft or something in a video game. Uh, but uh, I like to try to think a little more optimistic when it comes to things like that and all i'm gonna say is i hope that one day all of this work about people debunking him and exposing him over and over again isn't for naught and something will be done about it one day because a lot of these stories just make me think about elderly people that are in my life and that could easily fall into this and wind up sending their only source of income to somebody that is uh, frauding them. Yeah. Yeah. You better check your grandparents' mail before they, start. <laughs> if it's got a bunch of crazy, do you know a Peter Popoff? <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit about future episodes. What episodes uh, lined up in the future? Are you most excited to get to? I am really excited for Miss Cleo. I'm probably going to tease her. A, a little bit um, okay. she's gonna she's gonna be a fun one um i there's some folks that might have had a television show about talking to dead people that could be fun um there is i'm working on some stuff with uh the amway corporation and and that that griff maybe even um Something along those lines. We've got a few in the cooker that, that I think will be fun, but you just have to you have to stay tuned to find out what we're going to talk about next because things, as I've seen so far in just two episodes, can change pretty quickly. <laughs> well, can, can I say what, for my, what mine are? Yeah. 
I'm really, really, really excited for this. Probably won't be soon. It'll probably be very far down the road. But I'm very excited for the eventual Alex Jones episode. And on top of that, I'm very excited for. I gotta hope we could turn this like because it definitely was a grift. I just don't know if it's more grift than cult. But I would love to do a Jim Jones episode one day. I just yeah, want to find sure. a different way to spin it because it's been done to death. Like yeah. there's eighty thousand episodes about Jonestown and everything about that so i just want to find a way to spin it differently i guess yeah yep. and ancient aliens i am very excited for ancient aliens and i can't fucking wait to get to talk about it <laughs> all right well dalton where can they find the show and, and us on all the social stuffs you can find if you catch my grift on twitter at you catch my grift you can find austin on twitter at Austin Agogo, and you can find me on Twitter at Catch Dalton. Until next time, I'm Dalton. And I'm Austin. And we'll see you later on if you catch my grip. Good night, suckers. Brings the dawn It's just a restless feeling by my side.